Um, and then we're going to move in subsequent weeks uh, along to look at the book of uh, Nehemiah and the building of the wall. But the very bottom of three little snippets says that life, even in terms of the exile and the Israelites, life so often starts with hope and ends with disappointment. Life so often starts with hope and ends in disappointment. And we'll see that right throughout these facets of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. And um, I think that is something that applies to the chapters of our life so often, isn't it? Life often starts with hope and can end with disappointment. I mean, I'm used to that. I'm a West Tigers supporter. Okay, so the seasons of life always start with hope. 1969 and 2005 were very good years. But every other season started and ended the same way. Starts with a lot of hope, ends with disappointment. But this year, 2020, will be a different year. You wait and see. A few people shaking their heads here. Yep. Okay, well, you mark my words. Come September, we might even make the eight. But perhaps you've had a business venture too that has started with hope and then with disappointment. Or perhaps a relationship. Perhaps there was a marriage for you that started with so much hope and ended with disappointment. Or perhaps that's how you're feeling about our church situation at the moment. So much hope was there, but you're disappointed. And there's a heaviness that remains over you from uh, what we're experiencing, where we're going. So often, our lives are clouded by this, this disappointment and this heaviness. And that disappointment may be the result of some specific circumstance of life and something that we're experiencing in life, but it might also be the result of just the general burden of life that can wear us down. And our hope seems to have gone, and we're filled with a type of a heaviness that hangs over us. But I'm convinced that right there in the midst of this situation, that's when God is saying, listen, have your eyes open to see where I am. I'm here with you. I haven't left you. I'm aware of the problem. And that's why James wrote in the scripture, no doubt, consider it joy when you encounter trials of all kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I was reminded of that just this last week. As you know, Daniel... Our youngest and uh, his girl Courtney were married two weeks ago. They actually sent us a message from Argentina this morning. You know, they've spent almost two weeks in uh, Mexico. They've now arrived in Argentina. They've got the next two and a half months in South America. That's their honeymoon. I really let my wife down. <laughs> Our honeymoon was two weeks or something in Tasmania, which I thought was fantastic. But I'm being put to shame by our youngest. And anyway, we, uh, we came back into Sydney last weekend and, um, and then realised that this week was going to be a big one. I shared some of this at the uh, prayer night on Tuesday night, that on, uh, on, on, on Monday morning as I was heading into the office, I'd just uh, spoken with Karina about the sudden and the, and the tragic death of her, her mum, quite unexpected, while she was, uh, had undergone knee surgery, knee replacement surgery, and the complications um, out of that. And I was speaking to, to Karina and then going up to meet with the family and there was a heaviness over my heart um, as well, I was just grieving for this family and in their unexpected circumstances. And then as I was uh, getting in the car driving down, as well as that, I started to have 
my mind loaded up with all the things that had to be done that week. We had our prayer night on Tuesday night and council meeting on Wednesday night, uh, getting the message ready for this morning and, and for tonight and getting the, the PowerPoints to Ange. And all of a sudden my mind was racing and I found myself having this heaviness around the day. And I was reminded that I needed a heart and an attitude transformation. I'm getting up to speak about God being present. God being there with us in these demands of life. And yet, in that moment of time, I recognised I needed to commit myself to see God provide for me right in that situation. So I found myself as I hopped in the car and driving down Sedger Road saying, Lord, this is a big week. I'm not capable of, of journeying my way through this week. I need your help, even with this message for Sunday. And while I'd done the reading around Ezra and around Nehemiah, I hadn't opened up one Ezra, one to three Ezra that we're looking at today. So I came into the office, and, um, but before that I'm driving up Annengrove Road and before I'd reached Kenthurst Road, I just got this little message from the Lord saying, just three words you need, Brian. My promise, my provision and my power. My promise, my provision and my power. So I got into the office, opened up one Ezra to three Ezra. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, these weren't just for this week, Lord. This was for today. This is for this sermon today. So what you've got today and what we're going to get today is, is seeing God promises, living in God's promises, taking hold of God's provision in every way and then appropriating the power of the Spirit for us to negotiate life in all the ups and downs, all the challenges of life. And so, as I said, that was going to be a, a great little clip and we'll see it again next week. But that puts it into the context. But just let me um, uh, go a little bit further back. Remember the, the, um, the account of David, King David? King David, after uh, he passed the throne on to his, uh, to his son Solomon. And Solomon we know as this wise king man who prayed for wisdom. God gave his wisdom, him wisdom. But Solomon also started with a lot of hope. But his kingdom ended with a bit of disappointment. Because we read there, um, God saying to, to Solomon, so the Lord said to Solomon, this is, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. And we know that the Lord was true to that promise. On the death of Solomon, the kingdom was torn in two. There were ten tribes, the northern tribes called Israel. And so they went up, they were settled up in the north. And then down the south were the tribes of Judah. And the, the ten northern tribes, Israel... Uh, they were invaded by the Assyrians in 722. They were routed completely and those ten tribes ceased to exist. And, uh, and then the southern kingdom, Judah, kept on going for another couple of hundred years and then we know the account that um, King, King Nebuchadnezzar invaded, invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, um, destroyed a lot of Jerusalem, took all the plunder and took the people back into exile in 585 um, BC or 586 BC. They went back up into Babylon. And that was what we uh, know as the Babylonian exile. And then Cyrus, 
king of Persia, defeated the Babylonian Empire in 539 BC. And Cyrus, the ruler of the, of the Persians at that stage, then controlled a massive empire covering all of uh, modern-day Turkey, um, Iraq, all the Gulf states, right across to India. It was a massive empire. But God made a promise that notwithstanding everything that was happening around his people, the children of Israel, they would be brought back. God made a promise and we know if there's one theme that's going to come through this series on Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, it's going to be God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. God made a promise that in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, in other words, in order to fulfill the promise of God, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. So what was this, what was this prophecy of Jeremiah? Well, I'm not going to go through all that, but paraphrase, Jeremiah said that the children of Israel were going to be taken into captivity and after 70 years, they would then return. And then Isaiah 44, you could read that, speaks of the prophecy um, being fulfilled. And Isaiah writes, Cyrus, my shepherd, will accompany accomplish this and I find that fascinating Cyrus my shepherd Cyrus wasn't a believer in the Lord Cyrus was a follower of Marduk or Marduk the pagan king of the Babylonians but God moved in the heart of Cyrus to achieve and to accomplish and to fulfill his promise it's an amazing thing. And that's the absolute faithfulness of God, that God would take all circumstances of life, that God will move in the heart of believers whose hearts are focused on him, but God will also move in the hearts of others to achieve his purpose because God is sovereign. Our God is over all. Despite the sinfulness that had led the people into captivity, despite the fact that the temple was destroyed, despite despite the fact that they'd served 70 years in a foreign land, despite that, the Lord made a promise and we know that God is faithful to his promise. And my encouragement for us here today is for us to take hold of the promises of God. So what promise do you need to grab hold of today as we sit here today? might be a promise in your own life, concerning your own family, in your own situation. It might also be a promise for our church. Is it a promise of hope? A promise of reconciliation? A promise of forgiveness? A promise of grace? A promise of assurance? And what promise are you taking hold for, for us as a church? For me, I take hold of the promises that God will build his church. And obviously, that's a reference to the church, the global church of God, but it's also a reference to us here at Dural, that God won't leave us, that God won't forsake us, that God will build his church. I take hold of the conditional promise that our prayer team have reflected on so often from 2, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, 
and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. What a wonderful promise that is. We have the, prom- we have the opportunity to stand with other churches too that are, are wanting to, to pray that into the life of our district uh, in a few weeks' time when there will be a combined churches um, opportunity to come and pray. And Glennis has more details for us and we'll advertise that more next week. I also take hold of the promise from the Great Commission as we're sent out on a mission, which we are. The church is a mission organisation called to take the good news of Jesus to the world. And I take hold of that promise, some of the last words of Jesus, when he said, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And I know there are some here today that that want to take hold and need to take hold of a promise. Can I urge you, as you sit here today, to grab hold of some of those promises of God and to, to walk with that, to pray through that, and to see him fulfill those things in your life. And then we can take hold of God's provision. And then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart had moved, prepared to go up and to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbours assisted them with the articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. So as these, uh, as the tribes of Judah uh, leave the exile of Babylon, here are their neighbours actually providing them with resources that they would need. God provided for them through the gifts that had come from people as they left. And it was a reminder, I'm sure, of the stories they'd heard as the children of Israel had left Egypt where the Egyptians actually gave them all the plunder of the land as they walked out on the journey that God had for them in those days into the promised land. As Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And this again was evidence for them. And we see that too. God supplying all our needs. This is the God we worship, the God who created this world, the God who provided for the Israelites as they walked through the wilderness, manna and quail uh, each day for them. This is the God who was able to provide for the 5,000 that needed to be fed. This is the God who saw that we needed a saviour, that we were lost in our sin and in our separation for God and and sent Jesus to us. This is the God that provides for, for you and me, for every one of our meals with food on our table. We don't lack for anything. And as a church, we have so much to, to thank God for and his provision for us over all these years. We look at our facilities that we have here. We look even in terms of our finances at the way that God has provided for us with an association through what Earl's been able to do with the development and now with our association with Baptist Development Australia. God keeps providing for us. We need to be, keep praying into those situations. God provides for us with our people resources. I was blown away last Tuesday night with about 55 or 60 of us that were gathered around to pray. 
And I was really touched as we were sitting around a circle, eight or ten people at a time, uh, just praying, pouring their heart out to God, praying for God's forgiveness for where we are as a church, praying for reconciliation for where we are, praying that God would move in our heart, that God would continue to build his church, that we might see fruit. People, have a look around here. We're people that uh, are journeying through life with God together. A great encouragement and a great resource. One of the provisions that God has given us and continues to give us. In what ways have you seen God provide? Maybe personally, or maybe in a ministry. If you've got anything like that and you want to share that, just um, yeah, drop me a line and we'll make an opportunity for that to happen, that we might be encouraging one another in what's happening in the life of our church or in your life personally. So feel free to do that. And then we need to appropriate God's power. Zechariah was a prophet and a priest. Zechariah was a bloke that was born in Babylon during the exile. So he came back into Jerusalem in the first wave of the exiles that returned into Jerusalem. And, um, and Zechariah is a wonderful book of the scriptures to read. And so we read this. So he, the angel, said to me, Zechariah, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone to the shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. And then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line, some versions say, in the, when they see the capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. So here's Zerubbabel leading the first wave of the exiles back to build the temple. God had given him a job to be engaged in building the temple and it was hard going. There was so much opposition. All around there were people doing everything they could to bring the work to a stop. They were frightening the people working. They were stealing their supplies. If you want to read more about that, read uh, Ezra's chapter 4 to 7 uh, when you get home. Uh, the workers were completely distracted and Zerubbabel himself was caught up in this discouragement. Uh, things were not going as they'd expected. Actually, things came to a standstill. Work on the temple reconstruction stopped for 16 years. People left the work of building the temple and went back to build their own places. They even got comfortable with the fact that the temple might not be rebuilt. And some said, let's leave the building of the temple for the next generation. And then God spoke. And God said, hey, Zerubbabel, just remember, this is my temple. This is not your temple. And this is my work, not your work. And it's not by your power. No, it's not by your might. It's by my spirit that this temple is going to get built. Sure, you're my hands and, and you're my feet. You're the way to do it. But don't carry this burden. And in a miraculous way, God moved in yet another pagan king, King Darius. 
And the work had been stopped when petitions had been put in. But now King Darius, a new king, ordered that the work on the temple would resume. And not only did he order that, but he offered and provided supplies that that work might be done. See, it's easy for us too to become discouraged when things stop. It's easy for us to become, um, yeah, I suppose, uh, caught up with a lot of despair when things are said and, and there's a lot of gossip and everything else is going on around us. But we need to remember that it's not by our might, it's not by our power, but the Spirit of God will do His work. And God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we need to take hold of that and to appropriate that, each one of us, each and every day. And I know there are some sitting here today who need a, a fresh touch of the Spirit of God. And God simply is calling you to say, don't keep struggling. Don't keep struggling with this stuff on your own. Come to me. By my Spirit, I want to empower you. And I want to help you to push on through this. And I want to grow you because through this time, your faith is going to be refined. And your perseverance is going to be increased. But then there's a warning. And this warning basically comes for us from Ezra chapter 3. The warning is that the new is not going to be like the former. The new is not going to be like the old. God wants to do a new work in our lives. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets... And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their place to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. While many others shouted for joy, no one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. So here we have this strange mix of emotions, strange mixture of emotions for those that hadn't seen the temple hadn't had an opportunity to rejoice and to come and to, and to bring their sacrifices to the temple and to have a place to worship their God, this new temple, it was absolutely fantastic. But for those that perhaps remembered the glory days of the past and considered how much inferior this temple was to the former one, their hearts, oh, they just couldn't be consoled. Their hearts were broken. Now looking at what was there now and what they had before and they were broken people. They couldn't stop weeping. They, they couldn't get over the fact that this new temple would not have some of the things that the former temple had. For example, including the Ark of the Covenant. Perhaps they had heard the stories on the exodus of the people from Israel when 600,000 Israelites left Egypt and now only 50,000 of them had come back from exile, from Babylon into Jerusalem. So often, too, we want to go back to the glory days. There's an interesting survey out that uh, 
says that um, one-third of uh, every adult person over the age of 30 has gone back to revisit their childhood home. Who's done that here? Anyone driven past there? I reckon that's greater than 30%. And I reckon that'd be pretty true. But they go back, not to meet the people from the past, because so often the people from the past have left. They've moved on themselves. But they go back to drive past the old house, or to go down the park where they used to play their sport, or to find a place, a favourite hangout place, just to reminisce, because so often our lives have been shaped in those very formative days of, of growing up. And the interesting thing is that um, the survey showed how strong the association was for people with the places that they grew up. And people came back and reported that they found their, their favourite hangout spot or they found a favourite tree that they used to climb or a swing that they used to use and, and all those things. I confess I grew up in Dundas when I was up to the age I was nine and, and I went back one day and I, and I marvelled, for example, that I was driving along what appeared to be a very flat piece of uh, road and yet this is a road that as a young kid I struggled to get up on my bike. <laughs> I thought the hill was very good. I'm thinking someone has uh, got rid of the hill that was here, you know. That's how small and incapable I was, but I was kind of riding my dad's 27-inch bike under the bar like this, you know. <laughs> and no wonder it was hard going. But it brought back absolutely fantastic memories. I think we'd all love to go back to the glory days. I can go back to the glory days of this church when there are over 500 people sitting here on a Sunday morning in worship. When there are over 450, uh, 485 people in small groups. When, when, when. But it's a futile exercise to go back. We can't go back and God doesn't want us to go back. That's what scripture tells us constantly. God is forever wanting to do something new. That's our God. We want to live in the past, and the past can hold us back. The past can constrain us. We can tie ourselves in knots about the past. It's the most futile exercise, and it's where Satan has a field day. God wants to do a new work. How do I know that? Because God always wants to do a new work in our lives. Whether we're in good times, whether going through hard times, God wants to keep growing us and refining us and bringing us to a greater dependence on himself. It's interesting that even in that uh, second temple that was being built, when they look at the foundations, in the years leading up um, to uh, Jesus' birth, that temple was substantially increased and expanded. And that's a picture for us. We don't need a temple anymore. Each of us that are a follower of Jesus are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. There's no temple we need to come to. God wants to do his work in each of us, expanding us, deepening our trust in him, growing us in character, but also growing us numerically as his people. So friends, those three words for us, God's promise, God's provision, and God's power are the things I think we need to be concentrating on. I am sure that God's going to take us on a new journey, a hard journey, but a new journey of increasing our depth of faith in him, 
and our reliance on the power of the Spirit of God to do His work amongst us. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we, uh, we praise you and thank you for who you are. We just reflect on you uh, being the God who has provided us with so many amazing promises. And even today, there have been promises that have come to our minds individually and collectively that we want to take hold of. And we thank you that you are a God who is faithful. And what you have promised you will do, you will do. And Father, we also want to thank you for your provision for us. Your provision for us as a church, uh, both in our facilities but in our people. And Father, we thank you that as we look around and we share life together, you've given us a body of believers, true friends to journey with, uh, to share the journey with. And Father, we want to thank you for your spirit. We thank you that he fills us. And Lord, we need more of that filling of your spirit. So often we leak, Lord, in our faith, in our trust. And Father, we ask that you would pour more of that into us. That you would open us, expand our mind to be, uh, Lord, to be more dependent on you. And more expectant of you. And so, Father, we thank you that you are faithful to your promise. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.